Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, guys, welcome back. Another week of Working Class on DeerCast, episode 74, and Forrest Bonin's joining me this week. What's up, man? Not much. How you doing? Good. Hey, I want to apologize. I It's been the biggest struggle to get you on the podcast, and it's like our schedules, and I'm just like, this guy probably hates me, but we finally got it. No, it's all good, man. I mean, I know you guys are busy. We're pretty busy up here at the farm, so sometimes it's a little tough to get the schedules aligned. I bet you you guys are busier than I'm busy for sure it seems like you guys are always always doing something it's all productive stuff but oh yeah yeah we we uh we definitely stay busy terry's got a lot of projects he's got me busy with so we uh don't have much downtime well talk about what you do let's like get you introduced to the working class bowhunter family like what's your role at jury outdoors so i'm i'm terry's farm manager and cameraman so i'm basically doing i know wade and perry have both been on the series and they manage mark's farms uh do all his food plotting all that stuff and that's what i do for terry so i live down here on his uh, missouri piece and uh we got a we uh like wade and perry they got iowa and missouri we're illinois and in missouri so we got an illinois piece that i manage over there um and then uh then in the fall we hunt every day i'm running the camera you're busy. Do you, how did you get into like farm management? Is it something that you did before you worked for a jury or is it something you just dove right into and just picked up? Um, my degree in college was wildlife habitat management, um, a forestry degree. I went to Southern Illinois University Carbondale down there um, and got that. And then I had a minor in photography and media production. So it fit fit perfectly right in here. <laughs> with perfect. It. I didn't, I did we, we didn't do a ton of uh, row crop farming uh, growing up. I kind of, I mean, I grew up hunting and stuff, but so I kind of learned the row cropping from Wade um, as I got in here. But now I've been doing it for a few years. It's kind of second nature. So when you went to school, I, I'm thinking of like kids that are listening to this that are in high school or might be going into college, like wondering what they're, what they want to do, you know, did you have this job you have now in mind before going to school or 
Did it just work out that way? Honestly, it just, I mean, I just, I got lucky. Um, I actually started out in college. I, I was doing an animal science degree and then I, I was going to do a minor in wildlife habitat management. And I liked that so much better. So I switched my degree. And then um, partway through college, a couple of buddies of mine, we hunted together on the public ground down there and we started filming our hunts just for fun. Mm-hmm. And so I bought, bought a camera and started filming and doing photography. And halfway through being in college, I decided to add that minor on just as a thought, maybe down the road, I'd be able to uh, maybe do some filming just kind of on the side and stuff. And it just so happened I got lucky enough to get to do it full time. Yeah, that's pretty. It's cool the way that worked out because it's like exactly what you went to school for is like your job. So it's just kind of neat to see that. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely I'm, I'm pretty blessed to be here. That's awesome, man. So I, I do want to talk about farm. I mean, I want to talk about farm management and deer and everything else. But um, a lot, you know, we're coming into I don't even know if you'd say this farm management season never ends, especially for guys like you and Wade and Perry and stuff. But right now it's, you know, spring preparation, controlled burns, all that stuff's coming in uh, heavily. I feel behind. I have very minor projects compared to what you guys are doing but uh what are you guys doing right now what are you getting ready for um here recently we've been doing a lot of controlled burning um and we're kind of starting to get our our stuff ready for planting season i mean the soil temperatures are still pretty cold um but we're getting planters ready getting sprayers ready getting all chemical and seed ordered and all that stuff so that's keeping us pretty busy so control let's i want to touch on controlled burns because for the first time i'm helping one of the farms that I have permission to hunt on to do a control burn. And it honestly scares me to, I don't know. I had like a, my first scary instance with a fire a couple of years ago, just burning some stuff around the house and it got out of, out of control and burned the neighbor's field. And I'm just like, I don't like this at all. I'm having help next time I do it. So what's the process of a controlled burn? Um, and even break it down more for some people that might not know. And, and why do you guys do it? So we're doing controlled burning. We just burn our warm season grasses, um, just trying to help. Um, we had a few fields here. Um, they were Terry had that a long time ago. They were enrolled in CRP. Some of them they kind of got brushy. They had a lot of weedy species in them. There was there was a, some native warm seasons in them, but they really weren't growing um, great. So if you do a controlled burn at the right time, you can kill off some of like that fescue grass and stuff, and it really helps enhance that uh, native warm seasons, um, get some growing better. So we go in, um, the first, the most important thing, we always try to do them, we try to be really safe with them. So we're going in, creating burn lines. And the way we do that, I know some people go in and they'll disc a burn line or or whatever, but we like to take a brush hog, just go around the field. Um, we get a, a real nice wide path. Usually we'll do, um, usually do a 12-foot wide lane around it, mow it as short as we can. And typically I do that earlier in the year, like I'll go in in February when it's frozen and do that. Um, early February, even end of January sometimes. And then it allows that, um, that fuel, that, that grass that you mow over. I mean, you know, when you mow the grass, you get kind of that cutting that's real fluffy and stuff. Mm-hmm. It allows that, it gets rained on, it breaks down a little bit. So then when we go in and do our controlled burns here in March, um, a lot of that where you've mowed, that'll start to green up a little bit quicker. So some of that new growth will be coming on. Um, so when you light your fire along the edge there, um, it's just a lot easier to blow out. Mm-hmm. So, so then when we actually go to, to perform the burn, um, we always like to follow, we call it 60, 40 rule. So you don't burn if it's above 60 degrees or you don't burn if the humidity is below 40%. Hmm. Uh, we like to burn when the humidity is around that 50%. That way you get a good scald on it. 
um, but it's easy to blow out and put fire out if it does get somewhere you don't want to. Um, if you do it when it's below 40%, that fuel is going to be super, super dry, and that fire is really going to rip through it really fast. So um, we'll go in, we'll start lighting, we, we get on the downwind side of it, and we'll light it, and we start to back burn a little bit. So we'll go in, light right along that burn line, let it let it burn in a little bit, um, and you'll, your fire, will, it'll separate a little bit. So you, you let it burn into your field that you want burned. And then you go along that, that, uh, mode lane and just take a backpack blower or any kind of blower really, and just blow it out. Or, I mean, you can use a rake or, or something and just pat that fire out. And that way, when you go and light your head fire on the upwind side, that fire is going to travel a lot quicker through your field and it'll go and it'll fire it'll it'll suck together when it gets close like the heat will just it'll dry out all the material between those two fires and it'll suck it together but by on the downwind side by having that charred area that fire that's coming across really quick it'll get together and it'll suck together and just go out on its own in the middle of the field gotcha yeah because that's like my biggest fear man because this area i hunt i talked to one of the landowners and he's a really awesome guy he's like Man, we just went in there one time and just lit it up with a torch and burned it. Like, you can just do that if you want. And I'm like, I am not going to just go in there not knowing what I'm doing because I don't know any of this stuff. You know, it's all new to me. And I'm excited to see it done in person. I've never even been around it. Um, so I'm excited to like see the process firsthand. But I'm like, I'm not going in there with a torch and burning the whole county down. That's like my biggest fear with it. But there's a process. Yeah, it can it can get pretty wild. And I mean, we we typically burn in the evenings, too, because I mean, your humidity is going to be the lowest, like naturally during the day, your humidity is going to be the lowest around three or four o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then typically the sun starts setting. I mean, your thermal like, I mean, you know, as white's on your thermal start dropping some of that humidity starts kind of coming down towards the ground. So if you typically burn in the evening, it's a lot easier to control your fire as well, because that humidity is naturally rising and it's going to make that fire burn a little bit slower. Oh, OK. Gotcha. Good tips. It's man. It's something I'm excited to do because you know, it's a farm I've hunted and I'm looking at the CRP and the CRP I think is it's in rough shape. Like you can't walk through without your pants getting shredded from thorns and all, and all that stuff. And I imagine that's threat to not being eligible in certain programs. Is that normally the case or uh, I'm not sure. It depends on, depends on what kind of program you're in. Um, I know like some of the different contracts with CRP and stuff, you got to, go in and cut trees down or you can't have um can't have certain like plants in there they may want you to go in and spray for invasives or something like that it just kind of yeah. depends on what the whole the program is yeah well i'm i'm excited to do it because one i want to see like you know you sh- it's impossible to shed hunt so it's like when this burns like what what gems are just laying in there and i don't know do you run in that a lot when you do a burn do you guys find a lot of sheds and grass normally or is it hit and miss it depends on the year. I mean, we, we have found some um, typically over the years. I think the most we, we burned one field one time. We picked up 13 out of it. Wow. Uh, but then like this year, it's been it's been pretty slim. We've, we've found a few. I mean, typically they're discolored when you when you do find them. They're pretty sometimes they get pretty charred up, but it's yeah. definitely a lot easier to find them, especially right. after things on a burn. I mean, you go through go out and they stick out from a long, long ways away. See, I have like this high expectation that I'm just going to just be picking up like handfuls of brown gold and and there's going to, I'll probably find a couple spikes and just be let down. But uh, I'm excited to like see it and I'm hoping it actually gets done. You know, it's like if we get the right break and weather and all that in the next couple of weeks. But I'm just excited to see the landscape that I've stared at for so long, like just change and like refresh and regrow. And I, th- that's exciting, I think. That's probably the fun part about 
farm management in general. Oh yeah. And, and burns like burning is one of, it's honestly probably my favorite thing to do on the farm and man, like you burn it and it, it looks black and it's just a barren wasteland. And then you get a couple of rains on it in a couple of warm days. And it's when it starts to green up, it's literally, it's one of the prettiest things in, in nature. It truly is. It's gorgeous. Do you find like, and I don't know, it's a farm that doesn't have a high density of turkeys. So I'm like, I'm hoping going into the turkey season, I'm, I'm just wondering if like the birds will be more attracted to that area with the fresh green growth and stuff like that. I'm just wondering how much it'll change um, coming into turkey season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, turkeys absolutely love burns. Like we, we actually burned probably 75 acres last night. Um, and we did it down in a bottom where we've never burned it before. It's just, we always just kind of, we let the local farmer hay it. And, um, but the turkeys always roost on a big ridge and Terry and I were talking and we're like, man, it'd be really pretty to burn this this spring and try it and turkey hunt it. And, um, there was actually a couple birds in there this morning. Um, I could hear them gobbling in there. I don't know if they were necessarily in the burn, but they were right there in that bottom with it. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to see like what that does for it. And then too, like you said you burned 75 acres, you know, what's it take to burn that chunk of acreage? Like how long is it taken? Uh, last night we burned probably, we started at 530 and we were done by 830, 9 o'clock. That's all it takes. It goes that yeah. fast. If you do it when the conditions are right and it's it's easy to control, I mean, you can... I mean, literally we had a couple of the fields, we literally, we didn't even, because of the humidity was right and stuff, we were able to literally just you take the drip torch and ring the whole field at once. And we didn't even have to blow anything out. It just all stuck together in the middle on its own. We went along, we had, we had a couple of spots to pad out, but I mean, it's all doing it when the conditions are right. It makes it way easier and quicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm excited to see it, man. I'm going to try and do some film, some of it just for, you know, just to look back on and kind of see it change. But, you know, all right, so control burns are one of your favorite. What's your, besides that, your number one, uh, like, land management practice and then your least favorite? Um, I really don't know that I have a least favorite. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> That's surprising. I mean, it's not, okay, it's not really like a, a land management thing, but a lot of our neighbors have cattle. So we have to fix a lot of fence, hmm. um, just trees falling down and stuff. And I, I really don't like fixing fence. Yeah. But man, That's I don't fair. know. It's hard to, as far as I, I really enjoy the farming aspect of everything. I mean, I, I like planting the food plots and, and getting to see, like, see those grow really good, especially the clover. I mean, clover is like my favorite food plot to, to plant and trim them up and make them real pretty and stuff. So I yeah. mean, the food planting is right there. Um, but we don't. Go ahead. No, go Sorry. Ahead. I was going to say, like, I watched you guys when we had a drought last summer and you guys were running, like, basically water trucks out to force water plots. Like, I was going to say, like, is that one of the least favorite things? Is you're like, you're kind of in like panic mode trying to save and salvage these food plots. It, it really isn't bad. Like, the first, okay, the first couple times, like, you go out and, I mean, as a kid, like, everyone kind of has a little stage. They want to be a firefighter. And we got that fire pump on the truck <laughs> and you go out and you're spraying, holding the hose and spraying the fields down and stuff. And it's pretty cool. But then after you have to do it for, I mean, you're just trying to get those food plots through till you get another rain. And then also you're looking at the forecast and it's like, there's no rain in the 15 day. And you're out there two, three, four weeks in a row watering every morning and evening. It gets, it uh, it wears on you a little bit getting up early and staying up late doing it, but it's all worth it in the end. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're busting your ass from well year round, but then it's like by the time you're over the and maybe you're never over it. That might be a bad way to put it, but 
your hard work gets put in, and then there's this big transition, which is hunting season, and then you're you're enjoying and working in a different way that still relates to your farm management way. You're you're getting to see more the, the fruits of your labor at that point. Is that probably a fair way to put it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's super rewarding to go out and work all summer, hang tree stands, must move box blinds, plant food plots, all that stuff, and then go out and see the deer. Actually, um, I'm using it and really using the resource and and eating out of those food plots or drinking out of the ponds you put and seeing the stands like hanging sets, seeing those sets pay off and have deer come in and it's it's super awesome. Yeah. Do, do you guys do a lot of artificial like water holes? Uh, we, we don't typically, um, on Terry's farm, there's, there's a quite, there's quite a few ponds here already. Mm-hmm. Um, we just kind of strategically have sets hung or, or blinds placed where deer are coming and they're getting water and going out into the food plot. We kind of, we kind of try to play on, play on that, like where they're moving to and from those water holes. Okay. Yeah. I think I always think about doing that. Like you see the, there's companies now, now that make like the artificial water holes that you kind of dig in, let them fill up and. I've always been wondering like how beneficial that would be for some of my little food plot areas, like within the CRP and stuff that I have, but cause there's really no like big ponds in the area where I hunt in this, in this one particular spot. So I was just curious if you guys utilize that or not, or it, how much of a difference it would actually make, or if it would be like an attraction, you know what I mean? And, and my little kill plot or whatever. I mean, if it was the only water source that's there, it would be it would be huge. The only reason, like I said, we don't do it is there's so many little ponds on this farm, and there's a right. creek that runs through the middle of it. So those deer, I mean, they have water every few hundred yards, whichever direction they walk. So I don't think it'd be a huge drawing card here. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, if, if you don't have a water source on your on your property, that would be a huge drawing card. I would think. I have to. I have to really play it out. It's just like one more thing that I got to do. Type of thing. You know what I mean? It's like. Will it pay off? It'd be fun. Like I'm gonna enjoy doing it, but it's more just talking to the wife. Like, hey, I'm gonna go dig a hole, put this <laughs> plastic pool in it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I just didn't know. Um, you know, I hear guys like swear by it. I was just wondering. You know, since this is what you do, if you had any experience, but it makes sense with where you're at. Um, yeah. So coming into hunting season, when you start filming, how much hunting are you doing for yourself, and how much filming are you doing? Like. How is it structured out going into it? Because I always wonder when I see you guys, it's like, you know, I know you're filming Terry and, and and doing that whole thing, but like, is there a set structure or is it just a flyby and how it works? It works. It's, I mean, we just kind of fly by it and see typically, typically going into the season, we'll have one or two deer that Terry's really, he's like, that's going to be my number one target for the year. And it all kind of depends on those, those trail cam pictures, um, whether or not they're daylighting or not. But mm-hmm. um, typically, Typically, he's up to bat first. I'm filming um, in in Missouri here because we open earlier than other states like Iowa and Illinois. Or the first October, we opened the 15th here of September. So yeah. Um, in the last few years, we've been pretty lucky. Some of those bigger deer have been on really good feed patterns. We've been hunting them pretty hard early in the season. Just uh, a lot of those green plots have been paying off, and those deer have been daylighting. So I'll be filming him, and um, then he typically our Illinois piece doesn't get good until a little bit later in october so if terry's lucky enough to tag out here early um usually we switch and i'm up to bat here for a little while and, and i'll get to hunt for a little while until till things start rolling or we get daylight pictures in illinois and then typically we'll flip over there um then he'll be hunting and it depends on the spot like sometimes we'll both carry our bow in depending on what deer comes out 
Um, mm. We've had that happen one time. He was hunting a deer, and one of my target deer walked out, and we made the switch, and I was able to kill it. But typically, he's up to bat first, but it just kind of depends on the situation. Yeah, yeah. I I tend to think about when I watch movies in general. It's probably why I don't enjoy movies. But like when I watch hunting shows, like I'll be in here, I'll put up, you know, I got Drury pause on YouTube right now, and I'll watch it while I work on the computer. And I always like look at you know like the back. I think about the background stuff. Like I wonder how so-and-so is up to bat or when you start you know what i mean just like behind the scenes stuff that might not always get portrayed on the actual video um and it's just like my opportunity to ask because if i'm if i'm wondering it somebody else is wondering it yeah and i mean it all depends too on tags i mean like here in missouri we can only kill um one deer with a bow before gun season opens Mm. so say say terry tags out with a bow he can't hunt in missouri until our gun season opens again so i'd be the only one with a tag unless That's nice. Same comes up or like his mom, his mom came up and was hunting this year. So I filmed her. Um, that was really, really cool. Or like in Illinois as a non-resident, we can only kill one deer with a bow. So if Terry kills out with a bow and we want to hunt Illinois, I'm the only one with a tag. So until yeah. gun season works so, out. Yeah. It kind of depends on, on where we have, where we have tags. <laughs> to go to, so. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you this and you can be honest or you can lie about it. <laughs> How many sits, or maybe maybe it's it, there isn't a number before you and Terry hunting together, you start to get annoyed with each other. Does it ever get to that point? Not really. I mean, we get along <laughs> super great. I yeah. mean, we kind of run out of stuff to talk about, like because I mean during the <laughs> summer, like he, he's up here pretty frequently and stuff. But I mean, there'll be stuff we just we're trying to plan a food plot, or we don't really get to talk about life in general. So those first few sits of the year. Um, when we're especially in box blinds, I mean, we're sitting there talking a little bit. We we really talk about everything, but then, man, I mean, it hits hits November and we're in the grind of the rut, and we've been sitting all day together for a few months at that point or whatever. It's it's like okay, we don't really have a thing to talk about. So. <laughs> it's just silence like, in there. <laughs> yeah, we made we take turns taking naps or right. But, talk about i don't know different strategies coming up or what we're going to do for the late season but we, we run out of stuff to talk about by the end of the season that's funny well yeah that okay that's best case scenario and dude that's something like i i think is underappreciated and i know hunting's fun everybody loves to hunt like if most guys say you know hey would you hunt every day of season they're gonna say yeah of course i'd have no problem doing that but the way i've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff the way the jury guys work it's every day like all day intense and yes it's fun and it's hunting but it is a grind and i don't think there's as much like appreciation for the hours and time and hard work it actually takes to do that every single day of the season yeah it's it's definitely a grind i mean we i can't we calculated it up one year we hunted we were over 100 days one fall we we sat and I mean, we had, I think the one fall we sat, I think Terry and I hunted 96 days together and we saw two shooters the whole season. Whoa. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was an EHD hit that year and we were having really a lot of trouble running into deer. We saw two shooters the entire season. Like, Ooh, was, that's a gra- That's a long season, man. Yeah, it was. So, but See, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is a grind, but at the same time, like I look at it in a way like, man, if I was working a working another job like i'd be working to try to get my days off the hunt and i just i'm lucky to be able to go out and do it every day yeah i also you know i look at that two two different ways you know because i've done i've done both and it there's just a lot of work that people don't see you know what i mean they see you guys 
on video, they see the highlights most times. You know, they're seeing the stuff that made the show. So I just, I always think it's good to bring that up. You know, like uh, my buddy Trey out in Wyoming has an outfit, and I see a lot of the guys that work for him. They truly hunt for a living. Like, you know what I mean? They're not coming back and doing, you know, podcasts like this and meetings and strategy planning and, you know, all that stuff that comes behind the scenes with doing a production like Drury and, and then more. Those guys literally hunt every day. They're taking clients hunting, they're hunting for themselves. And it is a grind. Like they're up three o'clock every day. They're back late. And that is the dream life, you know, to a point. But there's, you know, it's still a job and there's downside to it. Like, I don't know. I look at them guys. I'm like, I don't, I wouldn't want that. That's like too much, you know? Yeah. I would actually, I was a waterfowl guide when I was in college. So I've guided, which it isn't as extreme as Western guiding, but I would 100% rather do what I'm doing now than than (laughs) go and guide every day. Yeah. That was that's truly a grind, like you said. How long did you do that for? Uh, I did it for one fall down there. Um, I I set my class schedule up where I only had class two days a week, so I'd go guide five days a week <laughs> and then go class two days. That's Worked awesome, though. Days. Just more experience, man. Like you know what I mean. That's the way I look yeah. at it. It's like oh, I yeah. I talk about with my one of my buddies. We're talking about experimenting with doing our own small outfit and just running like an exclusive like few guys a year on some property we have access to um, separate from like what we hunt, of course, you know, um, just to see how much we would enjoy it. And I'm worried that if I do it a little bit and really like it, it'll get to the point to where it's like the extreme, you know? Um, yeah. But we're just in the planning of that now. We haven't really like dove in to actually do it. But, but I, what I'm getting at is just, there's just a ton of work in it. It all seems beautiful and rainbows and unicorns from the outside, but it's still a grind. You still have a job. You're still working your butt off. Yep, definitely. I'm trying to give you credit here. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it. But no, it's yeah, we definitely work hard. We yeah, work really hard. Yeah, I just man, I know how I feel after hunting two weeks straight. You know what I mean? When I've taken that time off to hunt a specific deer or strategy, and I think a lot of it is like it's mental exhaustion, probably more than it is physical. Um, but it just wears you out. You know, if things aren't lining up, and you're like pulling your hair out it'll, it'll beat you up but that's also the fun of it yeah yeah it can definitely get frustrating at times but like you said it's worth it in the end if it works out and if it doesn't you have a strategy you uh you have something to build on and try to do better next year right yeah i mean i can imagine hunting a season where you saw two shooters in 90 something days like that's got to be pretty discouraging yeah it was but i mean we when eh i mean ehd i mean we we thought we lost about 80 percent of our deer herd that year um, so, I mean, we knew going into the season, it was going to be a grind and kind of, we were a little more mentally prepared for it than that makes than sense. Normal. Well, when you guys have a season like that, where you lose 80% of your deer, what like management practices are you putting into the farm to maybe make a difference or try and, I don't, I don't even know what you would do when you lose that many deer. Like what's the game plan for the farms? Uh, I mean, going into it, we were, we definitely were like, we're definitely not going to shoot as many does. Like that's one thing. If, if anybody's watched Terry for long enough, they know he loves to kill does. Yeah. Um, that's something we always do a lot of, but that season, I think we killed, I think we killed six does total that year on this farm. And then, um, there was a lot of deer. There were some five-year-olds that, that did make it through. And we just said, you know what, like looking at the age structure going down off the trail cameras and stuff, we're like, we don't have a lot of three and four year olds coming up. So we're maybe going to pass a couple of these deer, try to get them to six. We chose ones that were kind of in the center of the farm. We're like, we're going to pass them. We're going to hunt 
hunt deer that maybe walk a little bit more or something like that just to try to um and we're like if we don't if we don't each kill two bucks or if we, if we don't fill a tag it's not going to be a big deal because we know going forward there's going to be some deer there for following years yeah that makes sense so do you guys do anything different for like food or you know what i mean do you make oh. your plots bigger to attract more deer or to help the deer or like does does that go into the pro- management process at all i mean th- that year really didn't just because um just because i mean when when ehd really hit hard we had all our food plots planted already like mm-hmm. everything was already grown and and all that stuff um the the following year um we actually cut back our food plots a little bit because the deer herd was so low we didn't want to have a ton of food left over that the deer just didn't eat um so we cut a few fields back um that year and we planted more green like we didn't plant nearly as much grain um and and it worked out fine i mean we still had a little bit left over the following year then we kind of assessed looked at the population on the trail camera photos and all that stuff and we said you know what next year we're going to bump that grain production back up so we planted more more corn and beans the next year and it worked out pretty good does it take out the older deer or the younger deer? from what it sounded like you said it took it takes out a lot of the younger deer um it was a lot of like three four three three-year-old threes three-year-olds and up um it didn't we didn't find a ton of of young deer dead um i think i found on our farm alone i think i found 87 deer dead that spring 87 yeah yeah 87 on the main farm here um and i think 20 i think it was 22 or 23 bucks um (sighs) most of them died in either in velvet or right after they came out of velvet um and we even had, I mean, we did have a couple of shooters show up. Like we had one deer, he was a seven year old and he was one we were going to target. Mm-hmm. Uh, he showed up and we actually went in to hunt him one night and we had a picture of him. I believe it was September 27th and we went in and hunted him on the 29th and we were sitting in the tree stand and buzzards were dive bombing us in the tree stand. Like they were literally swooping down on us and landing in the trees around and we're like, that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And walking out that night, we smelled a dead deer and I went in the next day and the deer we were hunting uh, we found him dead. He was like 60 yards from us in the tree stand, the deer we were hunting. So it was really that was kind of, yeah. And we actually went back and looked the last trail cam picture we got of him. He was walking away from, from the camera, but you could see his tongue hanging out the side of his mouth. Like we literally think he just walked over the ridge and died right there. It's such a sad thing to see happen. And is then maybe, you know, or don't know, but is that where like, it kind of like they get a fever. It kind of like cooks them. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's like epizoonotic hemorrhagic disease. Mm-hmm. So the mint goes in their nostril and bites, um, bites them or like, I think a lot of, from what I've read and heard people say, a lot of those, the, a lot of the bigger bucks die because they're in velvet and there's so many blood vessels close to the, to the surface of the skin there that midge is actually able to bite them through their velvet and they can get it. Um, but I believe it, it affects their lungs. Like they get a real bad fever and it kind of makes their lungs and throat swell up and their lungs start to bleed actually, um, from the inside. Cause like a lot of them, when we would find them dead, it would look like a long shot deer. Like there'd be that foamy bubbly blood coming out their nose. Really? Yeah. Oh man. There's like, I feel like there's so much you hear about it, but there's just things, there's a lot of rumors and myths and stuff with like EHD or chronic wasting, whatever. It's like, I couldn't really even tell you the difference. I don't think 90% of the people listening could probably for real tell you the difference, but um, I blame Mark for this. So I had a buck I was hunting. It's not Mark's fault, but I feel like he jinxed me. Uh, I'm going to, for the sake of it, I'm going to blame Mark for this. We'll just go with that. Right. (laughs) So I had this really big buck I was hunting and 
would have been the biggest, still would have been the biggest buck I ever would have killed. I was on this deer, man. Like, should have killed him. Well, then this is early November. He just disappeared. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, what, this buck was everywhere to just vanish. And the neighbor, I talked to the neighbor, same thing. He had a picture the last day I had a picture. This deer vanished. Never heard nothing from anybody. I shed hunt, find him dead right where, basically right where I was hunting him or thought I would kill him. And I had, the last picture I had of him was like November 8th or something. And I don't know if that's too late in the season for it to be like EHD or one of these diseases, but um, Mark jinxed me and I showed him pictures. He's like, well, I have a feeling you'll kill that deer as long as EHD doesn't kill him. But I'm like, yeah. why would you say that, Mark? <laughs> and so yeah. I don't know if the EHD got him, but I know – and I, you know, I looked at him, I called him in, got my salvage tag, all that stuff. And I didn't see any signs of him being shot. It looks like the way he was bedded, well, his skeleton was like still bedded. It was very weird. And his nose and his rack was down in the dirt. It's like he just curled up and bedded down and died. I know there's, and I don't know the name for both of them. I know one of them's, I think the chronic's the long-term one, but there's like two different kinds of EHD. Like one, they get bit and they die. I believe it's they die within like 72 hours if they're going to die. Mm-hmm. And then the chronic, I think it can take a few months to kill them. So some of those bucks that disappear in like November or December, um, or even on if they, if, even if they survive it, they can be really unhealthy and they can die later on, I believe. Yeah. Um, Man, it's just I'm a biologist, so don't quote me on that. But yeah, that's research I've done. I think that's what it is. I figured. Out, I mean, you obviously you've been around a lot more of it firsthand than I have, and, and I think you know whether you're a biologist or not, just seeing it and being around it and finding the deer and kind of like you know it has directly impacted your deer herd right where you're at and make a living and manage. And man, it's just it's got to be your guys' worst nightmares for that to keep reoccurring. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been lucky, knock on wood, ever ever since then. We've we've been pretty lucky. Um, got rain when we needed to and all that stuff. Um, but it, it definitely it, it hit us really hard that year. I mean, seeing yeah. that many is really frustrating. Did did you guys talk with biologists or anybody that says like, man, how, like what's preventative maintenance on something like that? You know, do you is it just because the deer density causes it to spread faster? That's that's what it seems like to me. It's like where the deer density is greater, there's it's more of a chance for it to happen. I, I honestly don't know because I know it's like that little midge, and they breed in the mud. Like I know on on dry years, they say when there's when there's a lot more exposed mud. But I've also heard it happening in really wet years. Like I don't know if there's so much standing water in areas that that midge is able to breed in that mud. Um, but I mean, obviously, with a higher deer density like we have here, um, I mean, the more deer around, the more you're going to find dead. That's true. So I don't know. I don't necessarily know that it's like, cause I don't think it can spread from deer to deer. I think they have to get bit by that midge. I think it's just a, a matter of them um, being around those areas where there's mud, where those midges can get access to them to bite them. There's gotta be a spray or a treatment to prevent that midge from like getting, I don't know, doing whatever it does. You know what I mean? There's gotta be something, but maybe there's yeah. not, I don't know. Yeah, I would think there'd be some kind of pesticide you could spray to at least spray it on the mud or something and kill the kill the larva or I don't I yeah. don't know, but I don't know that it wouldn't. I mean, you'd have to find something that would kill just that midge specifically, right. and not kill everything. So yeah, and do more know. damage. <laughs> you go in there to spray the midge and just screw everything up worse. But it seems selfish to like save the deer so we can shoot the deer, but we're actually, you know, it's a sad thing to watch happen. You know, it's like they pretty much get a fever and 
their brain cooks and they die. Like that's the worst thing. Yeah, it it sucks. I mean, we we had a few deer. We found them when we we knew they had it. I mean, they were standing in the pond there and just looked sick. And like there was one doe. I mean, she literally you could tell. I mean, she had her tongue hanging out of her mouth, panting, and she would literally stick her whole head under the water and then pick it up. And I mean, it was it was bad. We went back the next. I mean, and you can't do anything about it. Um, so right. we, I mean, we went back the next day and she was dead on the edge of the pond there. But it's just it's. I mean, you want to you want them to live so you can kill them but then when you see them die like that it makes you really sad um as a, as a gamekeeper and a manager right you know i never one listening to this is going to get that because i don't think we have too many PETA activists listening i mean they might be trying to get fuel on us but i i highly doubt it that they're listening almost 40 minutes deep into a deer cast podcast but it, it's we care about the animal it's a bummer to see it like you know, and, and death from an arrow or a bullet is seconds compared to days of just brutal suffering like that. Not to talk about EHD and all this stuff, the whole podcast, but I just, yeah. it kind of comes hand in hand a little bit when farm management and keeping track of your deer herd and, and stuff like that. It's, it's a dang shame. So right here, we're, we're going to remove any jinx for EHD or chronic wasting for the whole Midwest, and it's going to have good rain all summer. We know that that's going to happen, and everybody's going to be happy. Yes, sir. Just call it. Positive thinking. Positive thinking. But, man, what a bummer. And I should have killed that deer. But, you know, I did I did get that that skull, but I do feel like Mark jinxed me a little bit because he just brought that up. I'm like, why would you say that? Don't do that <laughs> to me, Mark. So it's a damn shame. Oh, yeah. So going into this season, do you have a deer in mind for – for you specifically to kill this fall or one you're hoping pops back up? Um, I mean, there's a couple deer that I would like to see pop back up. Just, I know they're going to be on, on Terry's shoot list. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, I've been shed hunting like crazy and we've been lucky to pick up a couple, couple decent sheds. That's probably honestly one of my favorite things to do. I'd almost would rather pick up the shed than, than actually kill the deer. I, I really? love doing that. Oh yeah. I love walking. Um, but, uh, but we've picked up a few good sheds off some of the deer that we know made it through. So I'm really excited about them. And, um, for me, I mean, there's one deer here in Missouri. He, we think he's either nine or he was either nine or 10 this year and he made it through. Um, <laughs> just a big old, big old bully of a buck. Um, he's just a big, heavy eight point. Why are they always so, eight pointers? Bully I, bucks are always I, eight pointers. Yeah, I know. I I love eight points though. Like, I do too. If I could shoot a big eight point every year, I'd be a happy man. Yeah, same. But, uh, but that deer's one. He's he's really really tough. Um, we get a lot of pictures of him, but a lot of them are at night. And when we do get a daylight picture of him, we may get one a mile this way, and then the next one maybe a mile this way. So he's pretty tough to run into. Uh, but maybe we'll run into him next year. He's he's going to be ten this year. Yeah, we believe he's either, he's going to be either ten or eleven this year. <laughs> That's awesome. He's, he's he's an old sucker. He's he's built like a bull. He's big. That's awesome. My buddy's got a deer like that. We named him Don Vito from Member Vivo Bam. <laughs> he's just a big old fat, just crazy looking thing. It, it's amazing an animal can make it that far, considering the diseases we're talking about, and you add every other factor in the mix. Yeah. It's like that's a that's you don't hear about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it really is a miracle to get them. I mean, it's hard to get them to five years old, much less ten. Double it, yeah, double it down on it. What? Uh, how many sheds do you find a year? I'm just asking you random questions off the cuff right now. It's just coming to me like this. So, 
This year, this year has been really tough. I mean, it warmed up and the deer seemed to spread out and scatter <laughs> before the shed. Um, yeah. I think I'm at, I think I found like 41 or 42 this year. Um, but my, my best year ever, I found 113. <laughs> my record's like 20 <laughs> and I found four this year. <laughs> I just I like, can't do it. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, but I'll, I'll go the last few years I've averaged. I I think I've walked over a hundred miles the last the last three three years. Um and I've averaged I had that really good year and I think I've I've had a couple of years where I've been between eighty and ninety. Wow. Um but this year this year's definitely been tougher. Yeah, you're so, putting in the work though. You know what I mean? You're putting in the miles, that's what it takes. And maybe after this control burn it'll boost me up to maybe like seven sheds this year. Maybe I'll like it lucky, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if it's never been if it's never been burned before, there definitely should be a few of them in there. It's been a decade, I think, since the last time it was burned. It wouldn't surprise me if there's a dozen in there. Then it really wouldn't. So, Hope so. <laughs> they may be pretty chalky and old, but that's all right. I'll take them. I'll count them. Oh heck yeah! I'm actually excited to burn it because there was a buck I killed the year prior. He had a really cool rack, and I looked all over for those sheds. And because I knew he lived there, you know, they have to be somewhere and I never found him. So I'm hoping like there's just a miracle pulls off and they're in there, which they could be. Maybe you'll get lucky and there'll be like an 80 or 90 incher in there from a few years ago. <laughs> I hope so. We'll see. I doubt it, man. I, I We'll see. I just hope everything goes smooth and then I'll report back to you that we didn't burn the whole county down and everybody's fine. Yeah. I mean, if you do it the conditions are right, you'll be good. I got a guy that who's done a lot of them, so. He's going to, it'll be fine. It's actually a connection from Perry. Oh, okay. Nice. So I figured I was like, Hey man, do you know a guy? He's like, Oh yeah, I got a guy. So he gave me a number and set it up. So I don't think Perry, unless he's got bad judgment on people, I think Perry's going to steer me right. So we'll, yeah, we'll he's not very solid dude. So, all right. Is there like a rivalry between Terry and Mark's camp, the farm managers? No, not. I mean, I get along with those guys really good. Give me something uh, juicy, man. Come on. Get, spill the beans here. There isn't anything. Really. <laughs> I know. There's I mean, every, I mean, we kind of, we rib each other. If someone misses a turkey or misses a deer or something like that, we'll rib each other a little bit, but I yeah. mean, we get along, we get along really, really good. I was wondering so, that. And you know, I know for real, there's nothing like serious, but Mark always, he, Mark uses me as the middleman between Wade and Perry to when Wade's on the podcast to mess with him and bring up Perry and then, and vice versa when Perry's on, I'll, I'll, he'll have me just like keep bringing up Wade like awkwardly just yeah. to kind of like cause turmoil, like fun turmoil. You know what I mean? Between the two of them, which is pretty entertaining. I honestly was like mentally prepared for a really off the wall question that Mark like put in your head to ask uh -uh. me to because I, f I figured if he knew I was going to be on here, he'd, he'd come up with something for you to ask me. But You know, now that you say that, I need to start. I'm just going to send Mark the schedule. <laughs> and that way he's got weeks to start. All right, bring this up, bring this up, bring this up. But the last two weeks of episodes, just because we're in the middle of show season, I hadn't done that. Like said, I'm who's going to be on. But now that you say that, everyone <laughs> else from the jury team is going to get a couple week heads up with mark so prepare for tough questions yeah i was i was ready for something but i guess not no not this one there's no secret ones well did you see what i he made me do to wade 
on the podcast. Yeah, my Perry was so strong, and <laughs> is it nice having a big burly farm boy? <laughs> yeah, it's like the weirdest questions. Like we made up fake Patreon questions, and I could have asked like the worst ones, but the the stuff Mark wanted me to say, I'm like, man. I'm not sitting right next. To, I mean, of course, Wade's not. He, well, if he's on film on camera. He's not going to do nothing. But you know what I mean. I'm like, ah, it's too awkward for me. Like, I can't seriously do that to somebody and and like act like it's real. You know? But, yeah. I mean, when I when I listened to that podcast, when I heard you ask the first one, I was like, I guarantee Mark had him ask that. Yeah. There's there's no bigger poster than Mark Gurry. I know. I love it though. I love it because it's it's so harmless and it's like. Oh. Makes everything fun. Yeah, you got to have it. That's why I asked that stuff. It's like, well, we talked. You know, uh, it's funny. I had a listener bring this up. We, do, Mark and I, do the Turkey OG series and yeah. have a lot of fun with it. Well, Matt and Tim are copying us now with their own turkey series. So, what the heck? Here, everyone's thinking about turkeys. I guess I know. I know. Like we made, we kind of made some fake turmoil back and forth between the two podcasts. Uh, you know, us and 100 Wild. And uh, I think a couple people thought it was, like, legit, but it's not. It's all family <laughs> and love. But it, it was fun to do, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll do a big, like, camp versus camp podcast thing where it's, like, Mark and Terry's camp, and then we'll stir stuff up with Matt and Tim and make it a big pro wrestling deal down there. <laughs> like a King of the Spring podcast edition. That'd be cool, actually. I mean, I think that stuff's fun, man. People like that. Oh yeah, definitely. So, but dude, I feel like the the podcast is over already. It's a shame. We got to get you guys. You know, I always do the Zoom podcast with the jury team, and then I'm like, the next time it's got to be in studio if we can do it in studio, or at least we'll come down to you guys and do a podcast there. Um, I got to show more love to the Missouri boys here on Deercast. So, shoot, we go over to Illinois too. We're part of your part of your guys' crew over there. Yeah, I got to find out where you guys are at in Illinois. You don't got to say on here, but. Figure yeah, because you can't be that. too far. Terry, Terry wouldn't like that. We'll we'll keep that. We'll talk after the podcast. But I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for giving the info. I feel like I learned a lot, and I'll report back to you on how nervous I got on my first controlled burn. <laughs> it's it's a blast. Like once you once you get going and everything's smooth, if it goes smooth or whatever. If, I mean, if. it's one of the, yeah. I mean, even even if they get a little wild, it I mean it happens from time to time. But do it when the conditions are right, and it's it's a really good time. Cool, man. Well, where can people find you? Um, just social media, Forest Bond and Dury Outdoors is my Instagram. I try to try to post a lot of that stuff on there. And then, I mean, I'm on I'm on Facebook, just Forest Bond. And, but I post a lot more, more hunting-related stuff on Instagram. Cool. So. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for taking the time. I'm glad we finally got this episode pegged down and done. So I'm sorry for yeah. the delays, man. No, it's all good. It's a good time. Well, appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. This one seemed really quick. We got to start doing longer episodes, but thanks for tuning in, watching, listening. You know what to do. Go shoot a giant. We love you.